What's up, honey? I'm Sadi Simone. For years, I was looking for a spiritual sanctuary, but never felt like I fit into the wellness space. I was so turned off by the idea that I had to fit into what spirituality should look like or should sound like, I carved out a niche of my own. By embracing my spiritual sassy nature, I became an embodied permission slip to allow others to do the same. Spiritually sass is owning where you fall on the many spectrums of life, living in a complex gray areas between normal and nonconformist. Whether you identify as plain vanilla or sparkly rainbow gelato, my community welcomes and celebrates you in all your delicious potential. This podcast is for people longing for an avant-garde awakening. On the Spiritually Sassy Show, we're going to explore and celebrate what it means to show up in your full power, feeling fabulous, looking fabulous, and making a fabulous impact together. One guest at a time, we're revolutionizing and redefining what it means to be spiritual in today's modern world. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. As I graduate myself, the health coaching certification has been a huge ally for me to be where I'm at today. Are you curious to learn more or thinking of kicking off a new chapter in your career? Head over to the show notes and click the link to get a delicious, massive discount of $2,000 off of your tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off if you use a payment plan. And my love, don't forget, you have to use my name as a referral to get this epic discount. And just in case you forgot, my name is Sa Di Simone. So Ananda Mai Ma, Ananda Mai Ma, I was exposed, I was exposed to her in the same time that I was exposed to to Hinduism and Buddhism and, you know, the Vedic uh, um, world and the Vedas and all these ancient Eastern sort of philosophies kind of all entered uh, my world at the same time. I had left the fashion industry. I was um, feeling really depleted and filled with betrayal and despair and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of tension were happening in my mind and my body. Uh, and I was navigating, as I said earlier, uh, suicidal ideation. And I got exposed to all these, uh, to all these different philosophies, these Eastern philosophies. And um, I remember driving around uh, a truck in Florida with no AC. And I would have my little speaker. And imagine driving a truck in Florida with no AC in the summer. And I will put the little... Um, this little, um, um, what do you call that, speaker on the dashboard of this car. And I would just drive around chanting these mantras. Something was radically happening inside of me. Something profoundly mystical was happening inside of me. I had no idea the extent of it because I was just kind of, you know, being introduced to it. And then through through this kind of like research and getting to know and, 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 and curiosity, right? That's one thing I always say to people. Your curiosity is leading you to your freedom, you know. Allow your curiosity um, to, to orient um, your, your liberation. Oftentimes, the things you're curious about are the things that are going to support your liberation, are the things that are going to 
open yourself up to things that you've been scared of doing. You know, if I wasn't, if I wasn't curious about healing, if I wasn't curious about happiness, if I wasn't curious about self-actualization, if I wasn't curious about the unseen world and, and mysticism, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have the, the, the capacity and the, and the, and the, um, and the wisdom to be able to share, share with you guys. And I would not have, not only be here today because I would have taken my own life, right? That's just the truth of it. So my curiosity about about health, vitality, happiness, the unseen world, mysticism, the mysteries of life. That's what led me to 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 then find Ananda Maima. And when you when you start to study these ancient uh, these ancient philosophies, and you start to look at modern teachers, uh, you see that you see that um, uh, a lot of these modern day teachers not modern as our generation now but like the previous generations uh, ram das has spoken about ananda maima um and uh you know there's 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 a lot of of, of modern days of modern as you know because we're talking about these ancient uh beings um they they've spoken about ananda maima and i would hear about it like oh okay and i would clock it i'll be like oh okay Clock it there. Mm, got it. You know, mm, okay. Mm. And then I just said, you know what? Let me look this, let me look this one up. And Ananda Mai Ma is translated. Ananda Mai, uh, Ananda Mai is translated as, as joy permeated. Joy permeated. And of course, as a joy activist, and all of you as joy activists, right? Um, listening right now, you guys are all joy activists, right? Uh, it is it is kind of like a a no brainer that I would that I would be talking about uh, Ananda Ma. So um, it's translated into English as joy permeated, and Ma means joy permeated mother, the mother of of joy permeated, right? Um, so she was born in 1896, which is now um, Bangladesh. Uh, she died in uh, 1982 at age 86. In uh, in Dehradun, India, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you some facts uh, about her that I think are just fascinating, right? And um, because she she's had a, a life where we think that we have that the healing is linear. We think that everything we have in this life is because of the work we've done in this life. All of our success is because of this life. All the sorrows and the and the and the despair and the guilt and the shame and the discomfort and the unhappiness and all the thing that's good and bad about our lives, we think it's all because of this life only. And I want to stretch your conscious. I want to stretch your mind. I want to stretch your your knowledge and and squeeze it so much and massage it so much and marinate it so much that it becomes spiritual wisdom, right? Um, that that it that you know. It, it says we think that healing is linear, but when you when you hear a story about a saint like her, and when you when you think about your own life, um, you start to recognize that there's so much more beyond this one little life. That for me to have the the wisdom that I have today, for me to be able to experience the success and abundance that I have today, it's not only sad work. This is many lifetimes in the making. So you, we can't be so utterly selfish and so intoxicated that thinking that I've done this all by myself because you didn't, honey. Okay? And again, I want to stretch you to think that there's much more 
to life than what meets the eye, right? So thinking about Ananda Maima, right? And that's why I say this. It's like when you're when you're experiencing all, all that's benevolent and good and all that's like uh, dreadful and evil and harmful in your life, I want you to just take a moment to just like zoom out and say, perhaps the harm that I'm experiencing right now is a consequence of all of my past actions from previous lives, you know? So um, that opens you up, that releases the hook a little bit, that opens you up to, 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 to activate your inner resources, to do something different about it, right? And then same thing, all that's good, all that's benevolent, all that's, that's holy in my life right now, um, it isn't because of my work only, it's because of the work of many lifetimes in the making, right? Um, so at, um, the reason why I say all this is because her story, Ananda Maima's story, is so, it's, so uh, it's such a beautiful tale of how mystical healing is. That at any given moment, we can have spontaneous awakening. That at any given moment, something could profoundly unlock in our mind and our heart could go completely online. And all of a sudden, we're seeing the world through the eyes of joy. We're hearing the world through the sound of joy. We're experiencing every aspect of our being through joy. You know, this ecstatic bliss that Ananda Maima has, has experienced it and then has been granted this name as the joy permeated uh, mother, right? So um, at age 12, I know it's so fucking crazy to say this out loud, but at age 12, uh, she was married because it was part of the customs uh, in India. And uh, although this was a celibate marriage, but she was still married, she was still married at age 12. Uh, she spent five years um, after her marriage at her at her brother-in-law's home, attending to housework, and you know doing sort of like uh, you know chores and, and simple things like that. But she spent uh, the vast majority of those five years at her brother-in-law's house, withdrawing in a deep meditative state. And um, one of her neighbors, one of the brother-in-law's neighbor. Uh, this neighbor was somebody that everyone in the, in the neighborhood thought was crazy. This guy is absolutely insane. Uh, this neighbor, who was seen by all the other people in the in the neighborhood as crazy, recognized and announced Ananda Maima's uh, holiness, and 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 he he uh, started calling her her eminence and developed. Um, the habit of prostrating before her in the morning and in the evening. So who is to say that Ananda Maima at this point wasn't already awakened? That during those five years that she spent in this meditative state uh, after being married at age 12, wasn't already at such a heightened state of, of awakefulness, such a heightened state of liberation, that someone who was seen as crazy and we could go as far as saying that those who may be seen as crazy in the ancient world were the ones who were actually the mystics. They were the ones who were the saints, the sages. Those are the ones who, who, who held the keys to the mystery, you know. Um, but in today's world, a lot has changed, right? Um, so he got in a habit of prostrating to her in the morning and in the evening in, as, as a form of reverence. You know, when I walk into a Buddhist temple, when I'm greeting my guru, when I'm sitting with the masters, I do three prostrations, 
right? Full body frustrations. And then when she was about 17 years old, she went to live with her actual husband uh, in, the, in the town next door. And then here is the juice, honey. On the full moon of August 1922, at midnight, the 26-years-old Ananda Maima enacted her own spiritual initiation. How amazing is that in that full moon, in that full moon, in 1922, at midnight, you know, so let's just kind of picture this kind of ritual taking place. She just walked out, you know. Um, I don't know the, the details of the story, but maybe she walked out to, to a lake, to a river, close to the ocean, because she was in Bangladesh. There's access to the ocean there. Um, but, or maybe she just walked into her backyard, you know. I don't know the, the, the details of the story. I will look into it more. But for now, let's just picture this 26 years old, right? In the, under the, the light of the full moon, decides that she is going to enable and allow her own self-actualization to take place. How audacious is she? How bold is she? How iconic and legendary is she? So two things come to mind, right? One, um, we do have to have enough practice. We do have to have enough we have to have cultivated enough merit to be able to actually even believe that we have the capacity to completely unlock, to completely unshackle, to completely decolonize, to completely delete some scatter, to completely delete the defilements and the delusions of the mind, right? And fully live as a, as a completely liberated saint. So we do have to have cultivated enough practice, enough merit, right? And on the other side, and merit is spiritual money. How do you accumulate merit? With generosity, with generosity. And I have an entire, an entire course about that. It's a 30-day course, transforming scarcity into abundance. A 30-day course is 20 minutes per day, and it's a self You do it in your own pace, right? So uh, in that course, I explained to you about spiritual money, about merit, right? So, so going back to what I was saying, so she had to have been very, very disciplined practitioner. She had to have been the perfect karma uh, because of all the merit that she had accumulated. So the, the conditions were ripe. The conditions were, 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 were ready for that sprout, for that seed of enlightenment that was at the base of her being to fully awaken into a huge tree in a blink of an eye. And... When I said there's, a, there's another part to this, what I'm saying is that we have to have the willingness and the belief that we are capable and we are deserving of being fully liberated. You know, So as I'm saying all this to you guys, just start to think about it. Like, Do I believe that I can be fully liberated? Allow the resistance to arise. Allow the, fears, allow the fear to arise. Allow the doubt to arise. And then tickle that part of you that knows best flirt and seduce the part of you that knows best. I am capable and I'm deserving of liberation. And then speak that mantra into your mind that I always say, I will practice until I am free. And may my freedom light up the way for the freedom of others. And may my freedom light up the way for the freedom of others. And here's the amazing thing about this moment, right? Where she walked out into the, now we're, we're, we're sort of creating our own mythos 
mythopoetic version of the story, right? Or we're saying that she walked out into this field or walked out into her backyard or walked out into a lake or a river, whatever, under the full moon, right? And perhaps we visualize her wearing all white in a very ritualistic um, um, gear, right? Beautiful. And she perhaps was holding a candle in her hand. And, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the incredible part about it, right? That we can think about all these, all these sort of like traditional ways of approaching ritual. Here's what the story says. That although Ananda Maima was not educated in these complex rituals of the time, it said that those who witnessed the ritual said that they were corresponding, they were equal to the same traditional rituals of ancient Hinduism. You can't, you can't, you can't make this shit up. And you know when you know things that you don't even know how you know? You know when you know things that you have no idea how you know. You've opened yourself up to the cosmic wisdom. You've opened yourself up to the unseen world. You've opened yourself up to be supported with divine intervention. You've opened yourself up to the the unconditional wisdom that lives at the base of your being. You have allowed yourself to become a vessel of wisdom, of profound, prolific, unwavering truth to channel in through your being. So how amazing is that the story says that the rituals that she performed that night for those who witnessed, they were the same, they were corresponding, they were equal to the ancient Hindu practices of the time. And then two years later, after the full moon practice, after the full moon ritual, she started going into ecstasy at public kirtans. She started going to complete ecstatic states at public kirtan. So kirtan is, is devotional music. It's a devotional practice that, that is, that is uh, it's a devotional practice that is, at its base is music, it's chanting, it's singing. So she would go to these public, uh, to these public kirtans and she would enter into, into, these, uh, into these ecstatic states. And these ecstatic states, when someone is in ecstasy, it's undeniable. We all experience it. We all feel it. That person's, um, that person's brightness changes. You know, their vitality is, is evident. The light in their eyes is undeniable. There is a shimmer. There is a, a glittery a quality to their skin color. You know, that's why so often people, people describe the Buddha uh, the Buddha's skin color as, as, as golden. Although Buddha, although the Buddha was a brown man, they describe his skin color as golden for a reason. So many times they describe the skin color of Krishna, Lord Krishna, as, as dark as, as the midnight sky, right? The midnight sky is, it's dark, but there is a beautiful light to it, right? So, this is what I'm saying. At these ecstatic states of, that she entered into, at these public public gathering, everyone, everyone, everyone uh, recognized her saintliness. Everyone recognized that she had sanctified her experience, that she had completely um, dissolved dualistic mind. That at that point, she was resting in perfect joy. She was resting in perfect joy, you know. 
So it, it is it is important that the two things happen here. First, that we believe that this is possible for us when we hear the story of this iconic woman. And two, um, that when we are witnessing someone in ecstasy, someone who is liberated, we have to we have to to pay our respect. Why why do we have to pay our respect? In our culture here, we don't pay respect to nothing. You know, we worship Netflix, we worship Google, we worship money, we worship people who have who are not offering any benevolence or wisdom into the world. You know, so in in ancient um, uh, Eastern uh, uh, culture, and still up until today, it's known to pay reverence, to prostrate, to offer um, uh, compliments and, and homage to those who are awakened. Why do we do that? Because that helps us to remember that that is possible for us too. And here's the most amazing thing about it too. The fact that you can witness someone's someone's ecstasy, the fact that you can witness someone's liberated joy, it means that that liberated joy is inside of you too. Enlightenment is on the eye of the beholder, right? How amazing is that quote? I forgot who said it. Someone said it. And um, so think about someone who is in, in a complete state of despair constantly. They may be eating the most beautiful plate of food, and they may, and you may be like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful plate of food ever. You, you have this beautiful life. You live in this beautiful home. You have these beautiful friends. Your basic needs are taken care of. But if someone's mind is not liberated, if someone's mind is completely tormented, if, they're, if, they're, if their life is hooked on demonic tendencies, then it doesn't matter how much beauty they're surrounded by, they will never be able to acknowledge. It doesn't matter someone sitting next to them as an enlightened saint, they won't be able to recognize it. You know, They won't be able to see with the eyes in their face, but they're going to experience it at a deeper level. But it is your job to, to, to just, you know, as all of you listening to this right now, to just open yourself up to the fact that we hold enlightenment uh, in our, in our, in our, in our, through our senses, it will come a point when our senses are, are are well trained, when our mind is purified enough that we're going to be able to see, you know, a shining light so bright that it's undeniable, you know. And until then, you know, until then, we just keep purifying your mind and continuously training our our senses, so we're not allowing the senses to be completely running and ruining the show. I need to hear nice things. I need to taste nice things. I need to, I need to, I need to um, hear nice things, see nice things, taste nice things, feel nice things, think nice things. I need, I need nice things only. And if I don't, if I don't experience nice things, nice pleasant experiences, my life is ruined. I feel bad. Therefore, I'm a bad person. No, honey, that is you allowing your untrained senses to 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 dictate and run and ruin the show. We don't do that. We recognize that our senses are untrained and they are leading to this emotional hunger for pleasantness. So therefore we hold the the rail, hold the, it's like the, what do you call the thing for the horses? Um, and as you pull the brakes, you know, of if you're, if think about your senses as like all the horse in front of your carriage, you know, a, a carriage, like a, 
I don't even know if I'm saying the right English words, but you know what I mean. Like, think about you sitting as a driver of this carriage and in front of you, they're all your senses, right? And they're the horse kind of running wild and going anywhere they want. So it's your job to notice if your entire experience, your, your day-to-day is very much about pleasing the senses. When discomfort arises, you, you do everything you can to, to, um, to run away from it. So you distract yourself, you numb yourself. And, and when, unple- when pleasant, pleasantness arises, you do everything, everything you can to sustain that, to hold on to it, to f- be fully attached, to be emotionally thirsty for pleasantness to prevail. All of this is untraining you. All of this is, is, is just colonizing you deeper and deeper. All of this is just conditioning you deeper and deeper. Your work is to, know, is to, is to get to a point where your senses are not running and running the show, that you're able to, to experience everything that comes in through your sense gates, through the heart. That, at that point, when we, are, when, we, when we are actively working on the purification of our sense, the purification of our mind, what will happen is we're going to be able to see an enlightened being, an actualized being, and it will be like an immediate response inside of us. There's not going to be a question. You know, we don't know oftentimes the texture of truth because we have been so untrained in our senses, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we see, the way we smell, the way we taste things, all of our senses, everything that comes in that, 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 that's, that's pleasing to us, we have identified as the gateway to happiness, you know. So, but unless, is that making sense? But unless you do the work, of completely and actually and actively, deliberately, you know, decolonizing your senses from the collective hallucination that sugar equals happiness, you know, that money equals happiness, that a new home equals happiness, that a new car equals happiness, that when I'm sad, I need a chocolate cake. When I'm sad, I need a glass of wine. When I'm sad, I need to smoke this or do that. These are all the ways that your sense have been mis- untrained and colonized and indoctrinated and you are in a hallucination. So the reason why I went on a side note about the senses here is because if you are at a kirtan, if you are out in public and your senses are running the show, if you're not present because you can't, you can't hang with everything that arises in your mind, you can't hang with how, with how uh, the information that's coming into the outside world is what, what is actually what's activating inside of you. You don't have the spaciousness to recognize that sometimes when you see something um, harmful happening, you perceive as harm, but then the way it gets translated in your in, in your internal technology, if it gets translated as 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 if it gets translated and it gets act and it activates your own despair your own confusion, then you know that you have work to do. The work of self-actualization, the work of becoming a saint is that you're able to to see something harmful happening, to see something completely dysfunctional happening. And and through the through the through your internal spiritual technology, you're able to to um, to understand it through a place of harmony. And in that very same moment, you know the antidote. You know how to diffuse the harm. You know how to release the hook. You know how to be the antidote. You know how to act 
in a way that will be beneficial for all people. So allowing the senses, allowing the senses, no, uh, allowing yourself, giving yourself the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the power to transform your senses transform how you relate to your sense kids transform how you relate to all of it and i don't know how the fuck i got i got on this pivot oh i remember because i'm talking about going to public kirtans and not seeing them like being not even being able to recognize because our eyes are so polluted you know our eyes are only looking for people that are going to to you know a variety of things you know our if our mind is polluted our eyes are seeking flaws if our mind is polluted our eyes are seeking judgment. If our mind is polluted, our eyes are seeking threats. Are we communicating? So this is why we have to do this profound purification work. You know. So when we see an enlightened being, when we see another ma sitting there in the crowd in complete ecstasy, we're not we're we're not we're not uh, distracted by lasering into flaws. We have uh, we have landed at an enlightened being. So we prostrate. We throw an entire body on the floor in gratitude that a saint is here on earth, that a fully actualized saint is here on earth right now as a reminder of what's possible for all of us. So um, Ananda Maima, um, uh, she talked about dance. Uh, she used, uh, she, she spoke about dance as, as, a, um, as, a, as, as, a, as a tool for us to uh, to connect with God, how amazing is that? So when we are dancing, you know, we're purifying your senses. We're opening our hearts up. We are we are deleting the defilements and the, and the illusions from our mind, and we are connecting to God. We're connecting to divinity. We're opening ourselves up to miracles, right? And one thing that's important to say also, um, she did not advocate for everyone to have the same spiritual methods you know um she was very clear about the fact that there are many paths to god there are many approaches to liberation find the ones that work for you and work on it tirelessly ceaselessly all right like that i hope that's helpful for y'all hope that's helpful enough for today 